Welcome to The Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope to the people of East London, and I'm praying that you would feel so encouraged by this week's talk. Hebrews chapter 9, reading from verses 9 to 11. The blood of Christ. But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, That is to say, it's not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean." How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? And then chapter chapter 10, reading from verses 19 to 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Thanks so much, Daniel. Daniel definitely gets the loudest claps for doing a reading. It's like, the place is going off. Um, I want to know what would happen if Daniel got up and preached. You know what I mean? Uh, so that might, it's not, it might be a prophetic word, so just you know, steady on. Good evening, everybody. It's so good to see you. Welcome if you're here for the first time. If, you, if we've not yet met, my name's Al. I'm the vicar, the rector here. And welcome to those of you joining us online, wherever you're watching this. Today's message is entitled, Nothing But The Blood. Nothing But The Blood. So maybe you're on a date later. Some of us are living by faith tonight. Maybe you're on a date later and the, the person you're out for the first date with says to you, hey, how, you know, you go to church. Tell me about that. Oh, it's great. You know, there's like a, a bit of music and then someone gives like a talk. It's, it's really encouraging. Oh, what do they talk about at church? Well, you know, what was the talk on this Sunday? Oh, well, it was on, it was, it was, it was, um, it was on animal sacrifices. It was on nothing but the blood. Oh, great. I think my, my Uber's here. <laughs> a little bit early. So we're going to talk tonight about nothing but the blood. And honestly, this is a powerful subject for us to look at. If you're new to church, maybe you're, you've never been around um, what we're going to look at tonight, the book of Hebrews. And I honestly believe that what we're going to share tonight is revolutionary, it's powerful, it's transformative for our whole beings, our consciousness, our soul. So I'd love to pray as we begin. And join me, why don't we close our eyes, whether you're watching online or whether you're in the room today, why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, come. Thank you that you love us so deeply tonight. Thank you that you have this this dream, this passion, that we would experience crazy freedom, a life free from guilt and shame. And we pray tonight that you would take what we look at and drop it six inches from our ears to our heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
We all get things wrong. In 1999, two young entrepreneurs, Larry and Sergey, approached the CEO of a search engine called Excite. They had an idea for a business that they'd started. And they were looking to sell the business. And they got a meeting with the CEO of this company. And they went in, they pitched, and they said, hey, we've got this business idea for you. And the CEO was like, how much do you want for it? And they were like, we want $1 million. 1999 time, you know, that was 99, that was like a lot of money. It's like a, a million dollars. And the CEO just laughed. He was like, absolutely no way am I paying you a million dollars for your business idea. So they went away and they thought about it and they came back with a better offer. They said, okay, we'll sell you the idea, we'll sell you the business for $750,000. George Bell was the CEO. He thought about it and then he made the single greatest mistake of his life. He said, no way. See you guys later. I'm not buying your business. The company was called Google. Today, it's worth $1.4 trillion. And that's a mistake. George Bell probably hasn't got over that one. We all make mistakes. I wonder the last time you made a mistake. So the other month, my uh, post box goes and a letter comes through the post box. It's a brown envelope and I, and I go over and it has the police logo in the top right-hand corner. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's happened? And then I see it has my wife Olivia's name on it. And I'm like, aha, aha, <laughs> thank God it's not me. And I said, hey, babe, I'm married to a criminal. And she was like, what have I done? I said, I don't know, we're going to find out. So we sat down at the kitchen table, we opened the envelope. And I get it out, and she said, you've got to read it to me. What have I done? What have I done? And I opened it up, and it said that she had been caught speeding in a 20-mile-an-hour zone by the camera down by the Hackney Marshes. Anyone seen that camera? You come off the A12, and there it is, waiting for you in the bushes. 22 miles an hour she was doing in that 20. <laughs> she had to go on a speed awareness course. I said to her, babe, I am married to a convicted criminal. You are literally bringing shame on the Gordon household. She went on her speed awareness course with guilt and shame. And I let her know about it every day. I said to the children, hey, children, it's just lucky your mother's not in prison right now. 22 in a 20. A month later, the post box goes again, <laughs> and it's another brown envelope from the police. <laughs> and this time I rushed over, and I was like, babe, babe, come on over. And to my horror, it has my name on it this time. And I opened it up, and it was the same camera, <laughs> slightly different speed, I have to add. <laughs> I had to go on my speed awareness course. I was actually really cross. I was like, oh, this is outrageous. I felt the injustice. But the point is, we all make mistakes. We all get things wrong, right? I wonder what the last mistake you made was. Now, the Bible tells us that in the beginning of the story, we were in a world that wasn't full of errors and full of mistakes and full of natural dislocation. We were in a, in a world where the Bible tells us there was no sin, there was no, no error, there was no shame, there was no guilt. But what happened is that humankind rebelled against God. And since then, we've been living this universe where the world is kind of broken, where we have this cosmic dislocation in our relationship, not just with God, but also with each other. And as a consequence, we hurt each other. And this is what the Bible calls sin. And sin is described not just as like something that we do when we make mistakes and let each other down, but also describes sin as being like something that, that, that a condition that, that we inhabit as human beings. 
And I got to tell you, like, if I told you we're doing like a series on like sin, it'd be like, oh, I'm really going to skip church because, you know, I have enough problems in my life. I feel bad enough about my life anyhow. Why do I need to feel like even worse when I come to church and the, the guy at the front is going to talk about sin from the Bible? Well, here's the reason. Because the truth of the Bible is that you don't have to be a prisoner to your guilt and your shame. In fact, the good news of the, the message of Jesus is quite the opposite. That even though we make mistakes, we can be liberated from those mistakes. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. G.K. Chesterton says this about sin. He says, sin is actually the only part of Christian theology which can really be proved. In other words, when you, you go through your life or you look at the headlines, if you get a newspaper at the moment, almost every day you'll be like, oh my goodness, humankind, humans are flawed people. We live broken lives. We make mistakes. And that's an encouragement to us that you're not on your own. But the reality is when we make mistakes, this stuff kind of weighs heavy on our lives, right? We experience guilt and shame and negative emotions. I want you to picture for a moment that this whiteboard represents your life, your conscience. This is like the, the, the consciousness of your life. And maybe you don't wake up in the middle of the night screaming about the things you've done wrong. But there are going to be moments, let me tell you, in your life when you go through where you make errors, where you let people down, when you break someone's heart, or, or you feel like you've been on the receiving end of something that's gone wrong, and, and you feel anger, and you feel it's unfair, and you feel hurt. And that's because the world we live in is not perfect. So in our consciousness, we have to wrestle with sin and its effects. We also have to wrestle with the consequence of sin, like the shame that comes when we feel that we've let God down or we feel like we let each other down. And the consequence of that, when we add it together, is we feel this sense of guilt. We feel this weight this burden that when we're on our own in the kind of dark moments of our lives, we feel this stuff is heavy. And that's just on the inside. Then there's the stuff that comes from the outside. Maybe you've experienced uh, brokenness. Maybe you've got a, your heart broken along the way. Or maybe you've experienced like pain from somebody who hurt you or let you down or abuse. And this stuff, when you add it together, what it does, it starts to create like a toxic core of who we are that psychologists will spend all their energy trying to help you with. The therapists brilliantly will start to unpick with you and you'll start to see the way these things link together. The, 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 the guilt cycles around and causes more shame and, and the sin that you can't escape from leads to patterns of, of behavior in your life. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a substance abuse. Maybe it's something you do when no one's looking to make yourself feel better. And what happens happens if we're not careful is our hearts and our lives become this jumble, this muddle of emotions that we try and put this front on. But the truth is and the reality behind it all, we feel pretty broken. You might say, well, look, this makes me feel like I need to cover it up. I feel like I'm unworthy when I look in the mirror because what I see is this stuff looking back at me. And so we start to put on this front, this mask. Maybe we, we rely on our appearance or, or, or even worse, we start to kind of to, to make ourselves look something different to what we are. Or, or maybe you go through your life and you experience this, this sense of, of because this in your core undervalues and undermines you, you feel this numbness sometimes where we start to sabotage ourselves 
Sometimes our relationships. Or maybe you feel like because this stuff is real in your heart, that sometimes you feel like you're no fun to be around. And so we start to kind of self-medicate ourselves. A little bit of MD, a little bit of ketamine. Maybe we can't go out that night, so we start to be the person who's trying to have more fun than everybody else. And this is something that our culture is wrestling with each day. It's not just us. We, we live in a generation who don't know how to deal with the shame and the guilt and the pain we experience. And so we try and filter it out like there's some TikTok filter or Instagram filter you can get for this stuff. But the truth is we all know there isn't. So what do we do? Maybe you say, well, I, I conclude that I'm just unlovable. And you see this over and over again. I, I pass to people for a living and I see this in people's lives where you, you get this place where I feel unlovable, therefore I'm going to weaponize my emotions. Maybe I'm going to weaponize my, my sexuality in order to try and make me feel somehow acceptable. You see, this is the consequence of when we just look down at our sin and our shame and our guilt, but we never realize that all the time, We've been looking in the wrong direction. That we're never going to find the answers here. It's not a case of self-help or self-improvement. What we really need is to be rescued from the stuff that deep down we wish we didn't carry. The guilt and the shame. And there are times when, you know, all the way through the story of humankind, we find we live in the tension between wanting to be free and realizing we're not, that we make mistakes. Take like Lady Macbeth, one of the most famous characters in literature. You'll know Lady Macbeth, she, she murders the king with her husband. She plots this, this terrible murder and she realizes her hands are covered in his blood. And she calls for a, a cloth and the most famous quote in Macbeth, she says this, out, damned spot. She can't scrub her hands clean enough. She says, will these hands ne'er be clean in a Scottish accent because it's a Scottish play. Will these hands never be clean from the stains that I carry? How do we break the cycle of guilt, of shame in your life, in my life? Well, the answer is a word the Bible calls repentance. Eugene Peterson describes repentance like this. He says, repentance is the no we say to the world's lies and the yes we say to God's truth. It is a rejection that is also an acceptance, a leaving that develops into an arriving, a no to the world that is a yes to God. And let me tell you this, if this is news to you tonight, repentance is revolutionary. It's the thing that can free us from the cycles of shame and guilt and brokenness. When we come back to God, it's like pressing the reset button. I experienced this in my life when I'd just become a Christian. And I knew that God wanted me to live in a different way. But my lifestyle was like totally different to what God wanted me to do. And I remember being asked to lead worship in a connect group. I don't know if you're part of a connect group. They're amazing. It's like mini church. And we met on a Tuesday night. I remember this guy, Jamie, had it in his house. And he was like an amazing worship leader. And that sort of Tuesday night, I, I, I kind of arrived. And they said to me, you're going to lead worship. And I was like, I can't lead worship. And they said, why not? You're brilliant. You could do it. I was like, well, I, I just feel I've got, yeah. I didn't sort of start saying, well, you know, there's this and this and this. I just said, I, I can't. I'm not qualified. I had disqualified myself because of this stuff. And I remember going home to my house 
and getting down on my knees in my bedroom and saying, God, I don't want to be in that position again where I feel this stuff is disqualifying me from being obedient to what you're calling me to do. And I remember there and then I was like, God, I want to be free from the sin, from the shame, from the guilt. I'm sorry. And there in my bedroom, I was praying, I was calling out to God and I'm just not very good at praying because I fell asleep. <laughs> I was on the carpet crying out to God one minute. The next minute, I'm just snoozing. I just have a little like moment and I'm like flat out on the floor in the middle of the afternoon, fast asleep. Soon as I'd gone to sleep, I had a dream. And I look back at it and I think it was kind of more of a vision than a dream because I was in the room where I'd fallen asleep. And I was surrounded by all these faces of people who I couldn't recognize. And looking back, I guess... They might have been angels. And in this dream, in the room where I was praying, I'm asleep, but I'm awake in my dream. I look up and I see these people and one of them comes up to me and says, Al, I've got a message for you today. You need to go and read Psalm 85 verse 8. And then I woke up. And I was like, what was that? I hadn't been a Christian that long. I was like, I think the Psalms are in the Bible. So I found Psalm 85 verse 8. I had a good news Bible. I don't know if you ever had a good news Bible when you were a kid. I bought it in a Christian bookshop because it had pictures in it and really big writing. I was like dyslexic. So I was like, oh, great. Look, it's got pictures. And I turned to Psalm 85 verse 8 and this is what it says. It says this. I'm listening to what God is saying. In other words, God was speaking to me. He promises peace. Peace to us, his own people, if we don't go back to our foolish ways. That day, my bedroom floor, I experienced the most extraordinary sense of peace. And I believe that God wants you to experience that same peace tonight, whether you're in the room tonight or whether you're watching online. And the key to understanding this revolution in our lives is the blood of Jesus, the concept of the blood of Jesus. Now I want to understand, I want to unpack this together in case you're like a vegan and you're freaking out saying that is not relevant to my life. I do not eat meat or like I, I don't go near animal products or anything. Let me explain to you the significance of blood in the Old Testament. In fact, in all the old ancient Eastern religions, if you wanted to have a relationship with God as a human being, they required of you that there would be a sacrifice of something innocent to pave the way for you to be able to interact with God. The other day, in fact, three days ago, someone on the square where I live opposite the church crashed their car into the broadband box, the big green box down the end of the street. And literally the whole of the neighborhood has no connection right now. We're all tethering to my wife's 4G on her phone. We're literally like, it's a nightmare right now. All our neighbors are like, oh, it's terrible, isn't it? We haven't got any internet connection. In order to get a connection to God in the understanding of God in the temple in the Old Testament, you had to take an animal and you had to sacrifice that animal. And it was the innocent blood of that animal that purchased for you the connection to God. So in other words, when the priests were going to the temple to make atonement for the people, he was required to take a sacrifice of blood. Blood is like the ultimate sign of life, isn't it? If you have a given blood, you know the significance of your blood. And also, if we don't have blood, it's a sign of our death. If your pulse isn't working, well, it's a sign that you don't have life. And once a year, what would happen is the high priest would enter the temple on behalf of all the people and would make 
anew the covenant with God, renew their relationship with God so they can walk around thinking we're okay, God's not angry with us anymore because the high priest has gone into what they call the holy of holies at the heart of the temple and make right the relationship with God. So even though they knew they had problems, they got things wrong, God would make new their relationship with him and they would offer a sacrifice of blood. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. And I want you to look with me at these verses that we had read for us by Daniel. If we go to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 7, it says this. But the high priest entered the inner room, that's the inner room of the temple, once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. But then we read later in verse 9 that this didn't work. It says the gifts and sacrifice being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. What a tragic situation. The priest would go in and offer a sacrifice. But we knew from the book of Hebrews that it wasn't able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. Maybe you've lived your life like that. You've gone through the motions of religion, but you don't feel like God can ever clear your conscience. And that is not how God intends for you and I to live. You know, maybe you've tried it in your own strength. You said, well, look, I can, I can try and, and help myself. And maybe you can deal with some of the stuff. Maybe you can deal with like, you can get some like, some help with the history or, or, or some of the stuff in your life. Maybe the broken relationships, you can restore them. You can go and find someone and, and reconcile with them. And maybe you can begin to make that relationship right. But maybe you can get some help with the pain. You can talk about it with your friends or, or maybe you can, you can talk about the guilt. But the point is, ultimately, however hard you try, you can't deal with the stuff that is inbuilt into what it means to be a fallen human being. And anyone who tells that you can is telling you something that is not true. They are promising you a lie that ultimately will only disappoint you. Because however hard we try and deal with our sin on our own, we can't get rid of our shame. We can't get rid of our guilt. And we are left with a heavy conscience. Now you may sit here tonight and say, well, I don't have a particularly heavy conscience. I'm doing really well, thank you. I don't feel bad. That's not the point. Because some point in life, you're going to go through that speed camera that's going to catch you. Something's going to happen and you're going to feel like, oh man, how do I deal with that breakup? How do I deal with that addiction? How do I deal with that thought mindset, that action that someone's done to me? And however much we try, we can't do it on our own because this blood is not eternal. This blood is not capable of changing the very DNA of our souls. It can only be so effective. What we needed all along was a more powerful kind of blood. And then the story takes the most extraordinary twist. In the message translation of 1 John, first chapter of the Gospel of John, the message says this, the word, that's God, Jesus, became flesh and blood. In other words, enter Jesus into the picture himself. Enter the one who created the universe, who made the rules, who created the cosmos, who created you, who put the the DNA inside you, who made your heartbeat when you were born, who heard your first cry. The author of life took on flesh and blood. God took on a pulse. God took on hemoglobin and red blood cells and white blood cells and plasma and walked into the frame of your life. And then we read this. 
in Hebrews 9 verse 11. But when Christ came as high priest, he did not enter that most holy place by the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, listen to this, once for all by his blood, so obtaining eternal redemption. In other words, unlike our human efforts, the blood of Jesus is powerful and effective to deal with the cosmic problem of our disconnection with God. Verse 13 continues, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkle on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. In other words, you can go through religion and it's like putting a cloth on your life. It's not going to fix the problem. But Jesus does this. Verse 14, and here is the point. Human effort isn't going to do it. Religion's not going to do it. Psychology and therapy and coaching are not going to do it, wonderful as they are. Here's the point of how you and I are going to get free of our guilt and our shame and our sin deep down once and for all. Verse 14 tells us the answer. It says this, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, the Holy Spirit, offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. The point is this, Jesus knew that we can deal with our sin, with our shame, with our guilt on our own. He knew that he had to come and make a better way. And so he offered his own blood so that we might be able to be free, that we might be able to live free from the sin and the shame and the guilt. And you may say, well, look, my sin is scarlet. I'm trapped in a cycle right now that I can never be free of. But let me tell you this, the blood of Jesus can wash your sin whiter than snow. It's more powerful than anything else. You may say, well, I can never be free of my shame. You could try scrubbing it out in your own effort, but it's not going to do anything. But the blood of Jesus is able to liberate you from your shame, to give you freedom. So when you look in the mirror, you don't feel ashamed anymore because you've been bought at a price. And you may say, well, my guilt will go with me to my grave. Well, let me tell you that the blood of Jesus is able to raise you from the dead so that nothing will hold you back. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate you because the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. You know, you are called not to live a life where you're trapped in cycles of sin and shame and guilt of poor body image, of addiction of insecurity, of fear. Instead, the blood of Jesus wants you to live in a way that you are totally free. That this stuff has no power over you if you accept that Jesus has died for you and you live that. What Paul talks about is the renewing of your mind. Everything changes. You know, maybe you're here tonight and this is totally new to you. Maybe you said, well, I, I, I am not religious. My friend dragged me along to church today and, and you know, I'm just a kind of, you know, I've, I've just come along on the way to like, you know, go to like Palm Vaults, which is closed by the way. So, you know, <laughs> you got stuck there. Well, let me tell you, this is for you. Maybe you're watching this at home online and you're thinking, well, you know, I've been to church my whole life. I'm a, maybe you're a pastor, but I bet you've got secrets. 
And I bet you there are things in your heart that you wish you had a way of getting free from. Well, the blood of Jesus can make you new from the inside out. It can set you free so your slate is clean. There's nothing that the blood of Jesus can't deal with. Nothing in heaven or on earth. Hebrews continues, we, in verse 10, we, that's you and me, have been made holy. We didn't have to earn it. All we had to do was accept it. God has made us holy. In other words, the slate has been wiped clean. How? Through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. In other words, on the cross that Jesus done this. We don't have to do anything. All we have to do is accept it. And then it says this, once for all. In other words, you don't have to keep going back over this and, and, and like re-crucifying God. Jesus has done it on the cross so that you might operate in a way that your mind might be redeemed by the knowledge that you are redeemed inside and out. That your mind is renewed. That your heart is made new. That your hands, your life, your eyes, your money, your time, your talents are made new, free from guilt and shame because of what God has done on the cross. And honestly, in my life, this has been a game changer. Even I realized I got nothing to prove, I got nothing to lose. I'm a man under grace, not a man under work. So I'm not trying to perform or earn or psychoanalyze myself to emotional health. All I can do is say, Jesus, I'm a wreck. Would you come and help me? And maybe you feel like that tonight. And as I've learned over the years I've followed Jesus, the more I understand that this once for all renewing power of the blood of Jesus genuinely changes things. It's helped me to live more and more for Jesus in my everyday. Hebrews continues in chapter 10. Therefore, we can have confidence. In other words, we don't have to be afraid. We can come to church. We can enter the most holy place. But the most holy place isn't the church service. It's when you get in your place of, of work or in your bed at night or, or when you're on the, the, the overground going to work tomorrow, that place of interaction with God and connection. In that place, you don't have to be afraid and feel guilty anymore. You can be confident that you are loved, that you are bought at a price. You can have what the Bible says a sincere heart and full assurance with faith having your heart sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience and having your body washed with pure water in other words what's happening here is the writer of Hebrews says that I know you're going to go through the day and there's going to be stuff that's going to happen you know, you're going to walk through life like I walked through the park yesterday, walking my dog, and I got that London Fields special treatment from the standing in somebody else's dog poop. And I'm like, oh man, I just cleaned these trainers, and now I've got to walk all the way. Have you ever done that? Walk all the way home with a special kind of London Fields poop. And all my, I got in the house, I was like, I forgot about it, and I was like, oh, it stinks. What's going on here? And I started saying, Liv, have you, have you, you know, is there, is there anything going on here? And she was like, check your shoes. And I checked my shoes. And sure enough, I picked up something in the day. Maybe you're going to go through the week ahead of you in your workplace. It's going to be tough and you're going to get accused of something and you're going to pick up some guilt. Or maybe when you get home, you get tempted and, and you pick up something that's not helpful and you experience shame. Or, or maybe you're going to feel that, that it's hard to live for Jesus and it's easy to go back to your old lifestyle. But then you're going to remember that this stuff is not permanent ink. While you can't shift it on your own, you go back to the blood of Jesus. 
And you say, I know the story doesn't end with my guilt. I can be free. I know the story doesn't end with my shame. I can live free of shame. I know that I'm a new creation. I don't have to be bound anymore by sin. And so the cycle gets broken. You see, you don't have to live with your life in a mess the whole time because the blood of Jesus has died once for all. Jesus died and rose so that wherever you go, whatever situation you're in, you can always experience freedom. And if that's not good news, people, I don't know what good news is. You know, we can all go home now because that's the whole message of the gospel is that we got nothing to prove and everything to receive from the God who loves us. We don't have to feel guilt. We don't have to feel shame. We don't have to be a prisoner to negative cycles. The blood of Jesus is powerful and effective. It can free you. It can renew your mind. And you're, maybe you're here tonight and you think, well, you know, Al, you don't know my situation. If you knew my family, if you knew my story, if you knew the challenges I deal with, if you knew the addictions, if you knew what I get up to when no one's looking, you'd have to rewrite your sermon. But I don't. Because God knows you. Before the beginning of time, he planned and purpose that you would not live according to a, a, a cage, a prison of sin, but you'd be free to walk in the fullness of the life that God has for you. And that's everything we're trying to do as a church. When we talk about bringing hope to people's lives, it starts on the inside out. It starts you and I walking out of here a little bit taller, a little bit more confident, reminding ourselves that we are not the baggage that Jesus saved, but the ones that Jesus loved. Amen? So listen, tonight I, I want to um, give us a moment for reflection. Because maybe you're here tonight, and as the band come up, we're going to worship, but maybe you're here watching online and you are like, I've been in church my whole life, but I still feel guilty. Can I invite you tonight to come back to a, a, a true theology where your life is centered on the cross of Jesus? where you're not trying to live for experience, where you're not trying to live for the latest spiritual high, but actually you come and you leave yourself at the foot of the cross. And God fills you, renews you, and frees you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, hey, I, 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 I'm like, a, like not really, I, I, don't, I don't know what I believe. I've maybe wandered in and I'm not sure where I have a faith. I'm not sure that, that God would pick me, would love me, would choose me. Well, let me encourage you that he does, he has, he will, that he's for you, he's with you tonight. But more than that, let me challenge you that if you're here and you think, well, I, I've never consciously committed my life, I've never consciously had that slate wiped clean, I, I don't know where I stand, I don't know whether my connection is working or not, let me encourage you today to put your trust again or for the first time in the cross of Jesus. Because when you do that, honestly, God will transform your life from the inside out. Why don't we stand together and we're gonna respond. We're gonna take a moment to sing and then we're gonna have a chance to pray. And as we stand, let God speak to you right now. Let God encourage you in your heart right now. So come Holy Spirit, as we worship you, would you speak to us? For some, we need to, to turn again our hearts to you and remember that it's not about what we do, it's about what you did. For others, maybe you're here and you're like, I have no idea what I believe. 
Let me encourage you tonight to come running into the arms of a God who knows you, who loves you, who's for you. Let's worship and then we'll pray. Thanks for listening to this week's talk. If you'd like to find out more, give or connect with us, visit our website, saint.church. Have a great week and we'll see you soon.